Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. I had a coach once who worked with me on stage presentation and spoke to me about, you know, that kind of self-talk before you go into something. And I remember saying that I'll sort of say to myself, don't this up. And we had a conversation about, right, well, let's pivot that word because that's not helpful. You're kind of putting yourself into negative thinking there. Like, what is it that you want to show this this person or this audience? And like, what great thing would you like to leave them with? And actually, that was such a helpful mental change for me to think this isn't about not doing something wrong. It's about showing one or two or three things that I really value and that are important to me and that I think are great. And if they don't land with this audience, there'll be another one. Today, I'm talking to Tom Hall, Vice President and General Manager of LEGO Education International. Having previously held leadership positions at Pearson and Penguin Random House UK, Tom is experienced in leading global teams through complex change management programmes and creating partnership ecosystems. As a trustee of AQA, the UK's leading assessment provider, and a former board member of the British Educational Supplies Association, it's no surprise to learn that Tom is passionate about the impact education can make for individuals and society around the world. He is dedicated to using LEGO education solutions to deliver STEAM learning to empower teachers and students. In our conversation, Tom shares what he does in order to check out on Friday feeling calm, what it's like leading in a cultural melting pot, and why you're only ever as good as a system you're operating in. Tom, I'm so thrilled that you've joined me on the podcast finally. I'm delighted to be here, so thank you. And it's always lovely to see you. As you know, Tom, this is an exploration that I've now been doing for almost two years, actually, talking to various people around how pressure turns up for them, but also how we turn pressure into a force for better, that mm -hmm. it increases our growth, increases our performance, often makes us feel more alive. But that balance that can so easily tip into negative and depleting pressure. So why don't we start there? For you, how do you notice that pressure has tipped into something that's more depleting and negative than growth making? Yeah. Very physically, I think. Um, I, and I don't know, I always assume that that's the same for everybody, but I can, I can feel it in my stomach. I can feel it in my, um, I can feel it in my hands. Um, those are probably the two places where I can sort of feel right. I'm, I'm sort of tense and, and it's, a, a an energy ball or it's a sort of hot, hot hands. And actually just in my head, I can feel the mind start to race. So pressure sort of sends my um, thought production sort of engine into just overdrive. So there's lots of whirring there. And it's something that I sort of carry in, in my stomach. And I notice it if I'm, you know, very unprepared for something or mm -hmm. I'm starting to kind of, whether catastrophize or just overthink an upcoming deadline. And so 
I think I used to get it a lot on Sunday afternoons, actually, sort of thinking about the week ahead and was mm-hmm. I ready and is everything kind of in place to what I want to achieve. Um, and if it's really sort of piling up, then it, it I'll feel it a bit in my sleep pattern. But it takes quite a lot, actually, in a, in a I'm happy to say, to disrupt mm-hmm. my sleep. So um, it's normally something I can park at the end of a day. But yeah, pressure for me, it, it's a it's a physical sensation. And it leads to me, yeah, thinking or or sort of going into um, lots of rapid thought processing and actually speaking very quickly. I can, you know, I can think of it when I'm doing deliveries. If if I'm unprepared or I'm not really thinking through things, I go into slight kind of accelerated mode. So I, I just try and catch myself there. Yeah. And I suppose what's interesting about what you're talking about is if we take positive pressure as well as mm. negative pressure, how would you define therefore? Because I think what you've just described is when it becomes something that actually needs managing and you feel, okay, this is now going slightly out of comfort zone and I, yeah. I'm not I'm not enjoying it. Um, but how do you, does it still start in the same place? How do you recognize the pressure that feels, wow, right, okay, let's go. We've got this, let's fly. What's yeah, the difference? That, the difference is honestly preparation. Mm. It, it's always preparation. And it's it's knowing that I'm going into something that is, um, you know, I've spent some time thinking about and kind of I've internalized, but also started to think about from different angles. I have a plan um, and it's a plan that also is not like micro detailed. But I think I've also really thought about the, you know, the the occasion or the engagement and what I want to get out of it. And that's when it gets exciting. Because it's like, well, okay. what am I here for? And what would what would a measure of success look like to me? And I think an old me might have looked like, what would have failed? What what would what could go mm. wrong? And and I've I've sort of really tried to reposition that to like, you know, what can go right here? What could be unexpected? And what could sort of surprise me? But always have that in my mind of like, in this opportunity, this is what I'd like to come out of this with. This is what I'm working towards. This is why I've prepared this. And that's why this is exciting because great things could happen here. Yeah. But also, excitingly, things could be unexpected and go in a completely different way. Yeah. And I suppose when you've done the preparation, when things go, I often say when it slightly goes off piste, I often say, you know, it's not mm. actually what I'd prepared, but it's still gone off piste. You can still then manage it more easily because you've done more of the foundational preparation. Definitely. Yeah. And and thought about scenarios. And of course, it will nine times out of 10 be the thing that you haven't thought about or will will go somewhere else. But at least you've kind of thought about the routes that you could go out in and how you can come back and, and just try and always come back to that sort of very simple base of, you know, what am I what am I here for? What do I want to get out of this? What will be a a good outcome? And that tends to rationalize normalize a lot of any of that pressure that that may feel big and mm. i think i i'm i think i'm good at going for a kind of a general perspective picture as well of like you know how big is this and like what impact will this actually have mm-hmm. you know when i when i'm sure you'll ask about sort of tactics of you know coping and i think just one of my things is like zoom right out and mm. try and sort of put this pressure moment in relation to other things in my day world or in my family life or in the much bigger global picture and minimizing the sort Mm. of size of things always makes a difference for me yeah just perspective yeah it's funny actually because a lot of the conversations I've had 
on this podcast has been about the value of preparation. And that is interesting to me because most of the leaders and teams that we're working with are increasingly pinched for time to prepare. And in a way, COVID potentially has made that worse because it's extended most people's days, it's extended the gap, sorry, lessened the gap between Mm. one meeting and the next meeting. Um, and I mean, you know what I feel about the sort of the tyranny of back to backness. So how how do you how do you honor that principle of preparation when actually there's more noise coming into the system? Or have you just learned to prepare differently? What 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 does preparation mean for you in that context? It particularly in the high pressure moments, then I, I sort of have my list of things that I want to do at the start of the day. And I catch myself and think, well, that sounds quite aspirational, but I mean it. Like I I generally know that if I've done these three things, I'm going to go into that engagement feeling a lot calmer. And it can be ultimately the the coffee is (laughs) non-negotiable. Hopefully, hopefully being at home and seeing my family, but often with travel and stuff that that won't be the case, but there's got to be some form of exercise and, and exercise in the form where you're sort of getting out of your own head. Right. And I think uh, something where you've sort of sweated and and I'm not a very graceful exerciser. So it, it's, you know, a run for me doesn't look pretty, but <laughs> it's that lack of oxygen, I think, to my brain that actually allows me to really filter out what's the important stuff mm-hmm, and what do mm-hmm. I really need to get here. So it, it's it's the run and it's the sort of feeling like I've actually sort of put some pressure on the body and right. got it sort of ready. And it's it feels a lot more level. Um, and then I think just a healthy degree of, yeah, that perspective, but also the self-talk of like, you know, what am I going in here for? What will success look like? And I had a coach once who worked with me on stage presentation and spoke to me about, you know, that kind of self-talk before you go into something. And I remember saying that, you know, well, I'll sort of say to myself, don't F this up. And <laughs> and it was we had a conversation about, right, well, let's pivot that word because that's not helpful. You're kind of putting yourself into negative um, thinking there. Like, say, well, what is it that you want to show this this person or this audience? And like, what great thing would you like to leave them with? And actually, that was such a helpful mental change for me to think this isn't about not doing something wrong. It's about showing one or two or three things that I really value and that are important to me and that I think are great. And if they don't land with this audience, there'll be another one. So, you know, that kind of, yeah, it's a little bit of the thinking. I like some quiet time in my head. I like some exercise so that I can actually just sort of filter out the noise. And then uh, some some form of self-talk before going in that really just sort of rationalizes, okay, focus on this moment and actually make it something that's excellent and good rather than, trying not to make a mess because that wasn't helpful. Yeah. And again, you know, what, what you've highlighted in that question. So uh, when I, when I typically, when people talk about preparation, you, well, you immediately went into, well, there's a body thing. Like, you know, I need to like go for a run or I need to, you know, get messy or I need to like, and I think most people when they're talking about preparation is is thinking about content preparation, Mm. you know, and what I, what I really um, like about what you're saying is that preparation seems to have a much broader meaning for you that encapsulates yourself, your body, your whole sort of operating system before you even go into content, actually. It's a nice way of putting it. And actually, well, that is how I think I operate and i think as long as this is feeling 
calm and I know mm. I've done the the slides. I know I've done the legwork. I know I've done my sort of lists of kind of pros and cons and what I want to take into this conversation. But the really important thing is, yeah, the operate the, the human operating system. So yeah. getting that in a place where I know it's reliable and it feels good, then just allows me to go in and deliver the plan. And, and you know, planning and preparation, again, for me is that there's this sort of human side and then there's just the kind of the list and the pen and the paper. And yeah. my best times are Friday afternoons. So, mm -hmm. you know, sort of four o'clock. I don't ever have calls. I, I, I'm there with my notebook. I look at the week or the two weeks ahead and it's about thinking. It's my do feel no moment, Sarah. So mm -hmm. it's really listing out mm -hmm. Monday to Friday what's going to happen and then look for those big ones and make sure that that's all um, good. And that just allows me to check out on a Friday so calm. And then, yeah, the the preparation is is everything. So when I feel uncomfortable, it's if my physical side is undernourished and then the 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 actual content the meat of the meetings is not there and that's a horrible feeling and that's something i i fight very hard to avoid because i think again i'm a big believer in like if it's in your control take action on it because otherwise yeah. you only have yourself to look at when things haven't reached the point that you thought they would yeah yeah and is that something that you because you Ever since I've known you, Tom, and it's been a while since we've met, but you've always had teams that you've led, mm. uh, as well as being a team member yourself. Uh, is that something you've chosen to model and insist on as a leader for others in their ability to grow that's their pressure muscle? Yeah, that's a good question. I work with a really, I still, you know, I have a really varied leadership team and we're based all around the world and so we've got this huge cultural melting pot where we've all got you know different things happening over the weekends and our home lives might look a little bit different do i really push like so they definitely know me right they they know what i do they know what works for me and i talk about it um do i sort of I definitely, without meaning to be a bore about it, advocate the whole sense of like looking after yourself, right? Without yeah. being patronizing about it. I, you know, I, uh, they're all, I work with a lot of Danish people. They're all running all the time anyway. Um, so <laughs> I'm sort of at the back, but um, I do believe in sort of, it's a self-responsibility and it's, it's that accountability to yourself to sort of take care of yourself. So we talk about that. And then the planning, definitely. I talk about this till the cows have gone home. It's like, th this is, I will support my team members in, in every scenario. I just need to know that you're taking responsibility for getting yourself in shape and getting your plan in shape. So I, I advocate it. We we push for it without trying to feel too too rigid, I hope. But yeah. I'm pretty, it, it's made such a difference to me. And it's, I think it's very freeing. So I'll always share those ideas with my team, but without being a sort of mandate. I, I'm, mm. And I'm always looking to them to see what do they do that's working so well for them? Or mm -hmm. what can I take from some of their uh, makeup that they bring in too? So it's, it, I think it's a give and take. Yeah. I hope it is. I, yeah. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? When, you know, I, I'm a real believer that pressure can really grow your ability to deal with it. So what might have felt pressurizing to me 10 years ago feels less pressurizing now, for example. And every time, you know, you do something that you think you or I feel nervous about or I can feel ooh, a little bit of 
the adrenaline going, I know that actually if I can conquer it, it'll be in my bank of what I've done before type thing, which again increases the muscle. Or I feel the need to interrupt the flow of the conversation for a moment here because I think it's worth emphasising this idea of seeing preparation of self as freeing. Just now in our conversation, I use the word conquer because I've learned over time, and I still have to pay a lot of attention to this, by the way, that pressure has a fantastic ability to seduce us into believing that there's no time available to prepare ourselves and that continuing to get stuff done, like preparing our content, is far more important. Now, of course, I'm not proposing that content preparation isn't important. Of course it is. But I am saying, and I think Tom is too, that when we commit to preparing ourselves, we're more likely to perform better and to feel, as Tom reminds us, freer alongside the pressure. I was reminded recently about a part of our brain, two parts to be exact, called the anterior mid-cingulate cortex, which we can activate and grow when we lean into things that we don't want to do. And that's the key, the things that we don't want to do. When we choose to put in that extra effort to do something that our dog brain is telling us is too much effort, we're literally strengthening a part of our brain and developing our willpower to do hard things, which by the way, like any muscle, will atrophy if we don't use it. Here's something worth paying attention to when preparing yourself, which Tom alludes to when he says, my mind tends to race. Notice what race your mind is running on those occasions when you're under pressure and intentionally create a self-talk that will set you up for success. Because if you don't, it's high risk to leave it to the moment when we're feeling that actual pressure. In that moment, we can fall prey to putting a spotlight onto what we don't want to happen rather than what we do want to happen. In other words, playing not to lose rather than playing to win. There's a load of research around don't thinking unintentionally drawing our focus to the very thing we don't want to happen and, as a consequence, doing just that. Instead, as I mentioned, have an intentionally predefined self-talk that works for you so you know what to choose rather than leaving it to chance. Here are three areas that clients we work with find helpful when creating a self-talk or mantra to increase their energy under pressure. Area one, focus on your agency. You know, something like, I can achieve my goals, I've achieved them before. Area two, focus on your purpose. So it might sound like I'm doing this for a person, a cause, a mission. Or finally, area three, focusing on your previous positive experience. For example, I've done this before, I have the skill. Because when we make time to slow down, resist the need to keep going, we grow our pressure muscle and we model an increasingly vital leadership skill to others so they can grow theirs. I think when it comes to leadership, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if your barometer of challenge and positive challenge and pressure is higher than people you're leading, you know, what do you do when somebody's feeling pressure and you're looking at it and thinking, really? Yeah. So I think I am a sort of a bit of a professional plate spinner and, you know, it's, it's definitely something that comes across in my feedback and the way that we talk. I thought about sort of this type of question, you know, it's in my home life, I think I carry quite a lot. My teenage kids will disagree that there's a point at which I stop and shout, I smash the plates, but <laughs> within work and generally in life, there's a lot of plate spinning and I quite like that variety. But I, I, I try not to assume that everyone is comfortable there and some people are just very good with one focus and, and one thing. Mm. I think with my team, when I see pressure, I guess 
I try and avoid the advice trap of not kind of getting to a point of like, well, this is what I would do, or this is what I do. Try and ask some curious questions and sort of go with a, a coaching angle of like, well, tell me what it feels like and, you know, which bit of it is bothering you or what's really sort of getting you. And, and I don't I think a question, maybe this is more aspirational. I, I hope I would do this, but like what would support from me look like right now? Because it might be different. It's definitely going to be different person to person. And they might think differently Monday to Tuesday. But in that instance where I'm with you, what do you need from me right now? And hopefully I can give it. And and maybe I can't, but maybe a question like that. And I'll I'll probably slip into, well, you know, you, have you tried this or you, you could look at it this way. But I guess just make the space for talking it out and trying to let them come to as something that feels good mm. for them rather than me saying, here's what you should do. Easier said than done. There's always moments, aren't there? I mean, it's like where you need that sort of more clear, direct, I mean, I want to say the word command, but I mean, when I'm thinking about life and death situations for people, like leaders' role is to say, we haven't got, this is what you do now. Go do it. Yeah. And and I think sometimes for leaders, it's judging when they need, when there's an answer to be given simply because of speed and the result we're after. <laughs> and when actually what you've just described, there's a sort of more of a, um, a building the muscle from the yeah. leader to the other person. Um, I think that's increasingly challenging when the speed of delivery, the speed for performance and the pressure that's on a lot of organizations right now to deliver fast results is compromises some of that yeah i'm thinking about like recent examples and there'll always be the question from me will be like let's put this in perspective like how big an issue mm. is this whether it's personal or whether it's professional what have you done that's within your sort of circle of control that i can help try and rationalize with you what feels outside and scary what impact is this going to have on you and other people and then let's look at your options what do you think you can do do i agree with that i'll give you an, a different perspective here but yeah, and, and time is pressed. And, and as I said, a lot of my team members are in different places. So yeah. often we're having these conversations as well when I might have just had my first cup of coffee, so I'm feeling amazing. And then I'm talking to someone in Singapore who's sort of like in that 4 till 6 p.m. kind of lull of like, well, I'm really tired and I've done a long day already and this thing's really sort of blowing up for me. Yes. So trying to remember a little bit of that context of where we're all at individually in our our day and our sort of cycle. And that yeah. can make a big difference, actually. I think that's Questions. such a good point, Tom. I mean, when we first met, we we were going, working with the team globally, weren't we? We were going all over the world together uh, with your team. And I remember it was during that time, actually not on the, at the company that we, you and I met in, but I remember going with another company to the Hong Kong office. And there was a sort of Q&A between the uh, group head office that had come over to visit the region. And they were all sitting in front of the office in Hong Kong. And they said, please give us some you know, feedback. How's it going? How, how are we doing from mm. London, basically? <laughs> and one of the first things that someone brought up is, please acknowledge the difference of daytime when we have meetings. And it blew that team away in terms of what they could would have thought was quite a small thing. And yet it was first on their list of acknowledge the time difference, acknowledge that when you say good morning, everybody, there's actually the majority of people on this call where it's actually good evening or good afternoon or something. And it was a really major point of feedback to the leadership team around yeah. 
just just notice it's like a fundamental acknowledgement i think isn't it it's so easily overlooked and we i'm guilty of it i'm sure all the time but just that you know I, i'm sort of handing out energy and enthusiasm at eight nine o'clock in the morning my time and then everyone's thinking like i've got kids to pick up and i'm really tired and you know i feel like i've done my shift so yeah really trying to sort of put myself a little bit more in their shoes uh, and think about where i'd be at in their cycle that can help a lot yeah yeah so tom what's the worst pressure you've ever been under would you say be it professional, personal, when do you feel like your pressure button was really, really, like, hit? Yeah. Well, I will be honest and say uh, that my kind of worst professional pressure was undoubtedly sort of 2020, 2021. Um, full disclosure, I don't work in any industry that was frontline or truly having a horrendous time in the pandemic, right? So that's important. In my world, I work in education and I'm not in a classroom and I'm not teaching. So the, again, putting up my sort of um, case there, it, it was a, a different experience in that I was selling to education. Uh, I was selling a physical product in a time when, you know, school leaders and uh, mm. teachers were literally thinking, well, how do I keep my kids whether they're home learning or in the school, how am I going to make sure everyone's got masks? How am I going to make sure that we're not making this, you know, unknown virus any worse? Um, and then my team was sort of trying to work out, well, how are we going to grow our sales here? We've got a plan, you know, we're real planners. And um, yeah. it was a time, you know, because it was so unprecedented, we didn't really, I don't think we had brave enough conversations internally to say, this is going to be extraordinarily different to what we've planned. And we need to sort of just drop any of our assumptions about business performance and and i definitely played my part in that of like well i'm sure we'll just power on through and we'll just you know we'll just sort of plan and try and replan and 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 see what we can do and it got to a point i think where that just felt impossible um and you know we we really were struggling and my realization when i look back on that sort of the following year was i lost I lost a bit of my human focus there on my team and what they were going through in trying to sort of present a picture that we're on top of this, that we're all fine. And that was pressure that, you know, I guess I, it, I accepted it. It was put on me, but I was carrying it. But I did find that unbearably hard, actually, on reflection. And I, I think I... You know, I had my family around me. I wasn't traveling after a sort of three-year intense period. So the pandemic presented me in some ways like a break. Uh, and, mm. and, and I was really strangely, I, I know it was so awful on so many levels. I got offered a really intense treadmill at that time. And I kind of, I got myself grounded at home. But in terms of the work pressure and the sort of sense of, you know, we just want to hear what good news you've got. I never felt like mm. I got any good news. And mm. I don't think I managed upwards effectively enough to say, this is this is going to be just like nothing you've expected or want to hear from us. And mm. I, I didn't feel that coming back to me either. So I just sort of went into head down mode of like, right, we'll just do everything that we can. Mm. And I've met up with colleagues from that time and, um, you know, they, they, we were sort of peers at the time and, and one of them was like, I just don't know how you handled that. Like it was such an, a horrible atmosphere and you, you seemed like you were okay. 
And, mm. you know, it's so funny in reflection, of course, because I wasn't. And internally, mm. I was just thinking, Christ, how do we get to the next week? How do we get to the next Friday just to sort of get one step closer towards the end line? And that's no way to be. Mm. So that was a very internalized pressure. I don't think that I played my team as well as I should have done in that sense of this is really hard, guys. Let's give ourselves some space here. Yeah, I, I don't, on reflection, that didn't feel great. And and it, it prompted me, like I definitely had a mirror moment at the end of that year to be like, Jesus, you've lost something here. You've got, this has got to stop. So that was a very conscious decision actually to move away from a style of leadership that I was slipping into in that year of actually a lot of command and control, honestly. And, and that was because I was trying to find things to sort of ground myself on. And wasn't bringing enough of the real human and compassionate element. So it, it was a, a difficult year. I would, yeah, I, of course, I do things very differently now, I'd like to say. But um, you learn so much from it that I hope yeah. that comes through in so many different ways now. Yeah. And I, I really feel as you were telling that, you were describing that situation. I was picking up with just a whole feeling of restriction and becoming isolated as well. I mean, I think that this is a picture we found a lot actually helping leaders during that period of time was not only were we constricted physically into our own boxes of wherever we happen to be living in the world at that time, but also the constriction of how much am I allowed to feel? You know, as a leader, am I putting forward a hold the faith yeah we are getting there is that my role question mark or is it also uh actually let's just talk about how how flipping difficult this is right now (laughs) for a moment and that balance between honest reality current reality talk and then moving people to so choice of what we can actually do about it the the climate just seemed to push people into Let's just keep doing, and it's classic dog brain stuff, isn't it? Let's just keep doing, keep going, keep going, keep going. What can we solve? And actually we bypass that whole human moment of no one really knows what they're doing right now. Everyone's, it's their best guess, but let's at least try and keep collectively tight. It's hard. And I think, you know, that's what pressure does, doesn't it? Pressure just, the bad side of pressure is a depleting, constricting, narrowing, literally narrowing of perspective. Definitely. It was it was a super lonely time. And I think, again, I, uh, it was a choice. Right. And and but it was an it was an uninformed choice of sort of being quite guarded and armored and trying to look like everything was fine. And, you know, I think if I'd done things differently, you know, the conversations I could have had with peers and my leaders and and, and that would have been very different. What would you have done, Tom? Like in hindsight, looking back. What would you, what would be your advice to Tom during 2021? What would you want him to do? With, I guess, a couple of extra years on, on the clock now and thinking about, you know, again, I think a much stronger sense of perspective and, and honestly, a, a real relook at my values and thinking about that. I have this interesting tussle between accountability and kindness. Mm-hmm. So those are two of my strongest things. And I think at the time I was trying to make sure that the accountability was just super high, like just show that you can deliver and and make sure everyone feels that sense. 
and I think what we needed was just a lot more kindness actually and um really letting that come through a lot stronger um so yeah I would say I would have I, I'd hope that I would have given that person myself a, a, a lot more of a break and also felt a lot braver to say this isn't working in what sort of I feel that you want me to deliver. And in that sense, it's not going to happen. And this is the new reality. Therefore, this is what you should expect. Classic, like, um, I guess, business school kind of stakeholder management stuff. But actually, mm. it just felt very narrow, as you say, in that phase because of the pressure. It was so unprecedented. And yeah. um, it just didn't feel I couldn't see that at the time. So that's what I would say to him now. Yeah, was, and it's is no, that conversation of directness would that go down and up? Because you said in that earlier description that you're not sure you managed it up particularly well. Definitely didn't. Yeah, and 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 again, you know, different sort of styles of leadership, and yeah, it would be very different now actually in in having that conversation and the types of you know personalities that want to engage in those types of conversations. Mm-hmm. I've learned that too. Like you know, be really thoughtful about the the type of leadership that you need and what mm. values need to come through for you to be your best self and ultimately show yourself as the best leader. Again, it's all a choice, but you, you've got to make some calls. Otherwise you can really get stuck in a rut. Yeah. When have you been led really well through pressure? That's a good question. I'm going to go back to, I think quite early in my career, sort of, I've always had global roles, so I've always had lots of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And when I was, you know, sort of working on business development in big corporate organizations where you're only really as good as the the deal that you bring in or the the piece of strategy work that you do, managing those external stakeholders is a is an art form, actually. And having a leader who's got your back and goes and sort of blows the doors open for you and has your back. Um, I've experienced that very strongly. So my my early days in Pearson education, mm-hmm. I had that from a couple of individuals, definitely, where you always knew they'd got your back. And actually, that's so freeing because it allows you to focus on the stuff that you know you're good at which is you know what what you're there to do deliver the services you know manage the piece of work and when you've kind of had that care put around you of a great leader say this is this person this is what they're going to do um support them you know and they're asking their peers or their network that makes a massive difference and that's something that i definitely take on and sort of have acquired as a style of leadership like always look out for your people mm. no 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 throwing under any buses it's a horrid horrid um habit and actually always have the back of the people who are driving your business because yeah to me that's just a values choice that that's when i've had great under pressure leadership and actually you know i've I have a a leader at lego and it's a very calm conversational type of of dialogue we have and you know they ask me a lot of questions a lot of curious questions and actually but the thing that i there's no judgment and Mm. i I think judging is such a toxic style of leadership choice so i would say the best thing about leadership that you can do when when someone's under pressure is stay away from judging 
because that that's not a great feeling to be on either side of and actually just ask the questions that you know you need to tease out of that situation and then if you need to go into the advice route do that but just stay away from judgment because it's a it's a pretty cold place for everyone involved i think I think what you're talking about there, this whole sort of dance that you play that, that you know, if you can lead without, let me just get this straight in my own head. I'm hearing some really clever mix between challenge and support that you're describing there. So it doesn't sound like these leaders are marshmallowy with their support, no. you know, and just oh, everything that you do, Tom is great, you know, or uh, yeah, of course, you you know, that's fine. And it's it seems like it's a heady it's a heady, potent mixture of uh, positive challenge without judgment. Yeah. Does that make does, yeah, does that sound it is. Up? Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I'm ambitious. I, I always want to see ambition from my leader. I like working with people who are energetic and energizing and sort of very values and purpose driven, but ultimately want to deliver and get things done. And, you know, that sense of human connection and and some humor as well. Um, I want to be stretched. And, and again, I, I hope I do that in my dialogues too, in terms of like, well, you know, what could we go for here? And why wouldn't we do that? And, you know, under what assumptions are we working that we can either sort of go for a good or a great? And yeah, that but that mixture of the, the real human side, the support, I guess a little bit of that servant leadership style of like, what can I do to make you supremely um, successful yeah. here? And sort yeah. of get out of your way and let you go and, and, and do... Um, so that that comes through and um, yeah, but the, the stretch too, like how big can we go and what will great look like? And I want people who can lead me in that way. And then therefore that encourages me to also sort of stretch that on, on my side too. So it's the, definitely the combination. Yeah. I mean, what we've learned as in our team from working with elite sports um, men and women is this role of the coach with them and this idea of them assessing where they are in their training, how fast they can, how, how, how bold they can be to push to the next level. I mean, uh, and I think that's, that's a really interesting ingredient for leadership is to say, I, I can see, I can push you, Tom, like you've got another 5% here. Let's, well, you know, what would, what would another 5% look like on this? So that, you know, and so, so they're sort of aware of where the different barometers are and how far they can push and when they, when it's not appropriate to push and all again, without judgment, I think it's, a, it's fascinating to see. I've always carried those sort of experiences with me from work that we did around, you know, rowing training mm. or mm. any type of athlete, that relentless focus on systems of like, say, you know, Monday to Friday, what am I doing? And at what time? And when will I see the progress coming through? And I've definitely taken forms of that and sort of habits into how I think about my work and my team. And I'm always, you know, looking at my team to make sure that we've got systems where honing them because once they start getting faster and faster or better and yeah. better in terms of reporting that's when you really start to feel that joy of progress yeah. and i think about you know what you said to me years ago about positive self-talk and how can this be a a success rather than avoiding a failure mm -hmm. i think that goes to like how you prepare your systems as well in the sense of are you are you working really hard just so you don't fail or are you working yeah. really hard so you can show that you're actually making micro wins all the time and, and you're getting yeah. that joy out of it? So yeah. that sort of sense of training to win something rather than to avoid 
if yeah. you then miss and you and you lose it then at least you've sort of had that vision in your head and yeah. you know what you were going for and you can probably explain why it didn't happen as well the opposite is you're trying to avoid something catastrophic happening and that fear of failure and that's horrid so yeah. I, I think yeah those systems i always remember thinking about your kind of olympic gold time what would it need to be yeah and if you're in that shape then you know you've really got to go in with that feeling in your stomach of confidence and go and show off what you've done yeah. and i think that applies to to a great sales team like you know what's the strength of your systems how much do you know about your data where are the insights telling you that we can tweak things up and down and then when those systems get tighter and tighter the results come because yeah. it's all sort of in the back room happening and yeah, yeah. that's when the magic stuff happens yeah absolutely it's funny i was talking to tom sherrington actually recently on the podcast who used to be a head teacher talking, you know, the connection here is education. And he now, he's written books on walkthroughs. You may know him actually, but he does a lot of work with schools across the globe. And he he talked about an experience where he basically felt he could no longer be a head teacher in the school, partly because the system wasn't there in any support. And I think what's interesting about teachers is you have this autonomy in your classroom where you almost have your own little business in your classroom that you are the CEO of, right? If you take, if you think about it like that, but you're also part of a group, you know, there's a group office, which is the rest of the school. And if that group, if that sort of culture of the group isn't supportive in terms of the system that you're operating within, you 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 have no space to to sort of uh, fall around support or be that be backed as you were saying you know there's no real strong backbone to the system there might be in your classroom but there isn't in the system and he talks a lot about you have to find where your space is in the system and what he now because he goes around all sorts of different schools and many of them he can feel like it's palpable when the system is supporting every single individual classroom leader in their job so that they can carry on being the best and taking the risks and often in very high challenging situations. Um, but it's the system that holds the thread together. Yeah. Um, and it, it's similar, I think, for organizations about what system you're operating in. You know, you can deal with pressure in a system that supports and challenges, you, you know, but it's difficult to deal with pressure if the whole environment is not one of supportive challenge but toxic challenge totally and and that sort of sense of systems and structure when i think about like awful feelings of pressure and it's a long time you know you know i i, I don't set, get that sense very frequently at all anymore but whenever pressure really builds i think as long as your systems are in place and your basics are covered you know that you've got that performance base to fall back on because you've done the work and you've thought about the times, you've thought about the story. And again, that comes back to planning, but it just comes back to good basic habits. And it's that's been the game changer for me in terms of performance and pressure, actually. Yeah, really good. That's really helpful. Um, well, it feels now like you're in a very, you, you know, you've had those two years that were challenging. You now feel like you've had a, a different sort of year. Uh, you know, are you a, a challenge junkie, Tom? I mean, do you now need to go to another level or does it get to a point where I've got sufficient pressure to thrive, to grow, to feel alive? You know, what's that barometer for you? I mean, is it enough now? No, it's not. That's a great question. No, it's not. I I, I think I, I am a sort of, the, the, whether it's relentless or not, I'm always going to be looking for like, what's the next 
thing in terms of the learning or this sort of thing that I'm working on in myself or that I want to be better at? Like, what's the commercial capability that is softer in me that I want to tighten? What's the kind of personal learning thing I'm going to go and do? Mm. You know, is it if it's running further or faster or it's doing something more meaningful with my teenage kids actually is a good one. Like, you know, the the different ways that we might spend time together that's going to give them joy too. Um, And then on a learning side and a work side, it will be like, you know, bigger results, bigger goals, but ultimately like, what is it in me that I want to then put more under the spotlight next year? So an element of performance or whether that's kind of the type of style of sparring that I'm going to bring into that team and the dynamic I want to play in that leadership team that I'm a part of or specific kind of commercial deliveries. I'm always looking for that next goal. So I think I'm very um, healthily competitive with myself as much as anything. There's always that sense of like, that's done. What's the next thing? Um, You know, how does this compare with what I had in mind and sort of tracking of goals is really important to me. So that keeps me motivated and excited too. I'm going to write up next week, actually, where has 23 landed in terms of like business and performance wise? And is it in line with my expectations? What do I want to do differently? And that to me is just a really helpful way to map where I've come from and what next year is all about. Um, And then that allows me to close off the year cleanly and start next year with a fresh page. This goes to the heart of the podcast. The question of where are you on the pressure front? Do you have enough or too much? How do you actively track and assess how you're doing, both as an individual and as a team? Because in my opinion, we aren't having enough conversations with our teams about the amount of pressure that improves us or depletes us. The world's designed to provide both support and challenge, and research indicates that we grow most when we're exposed to both. So it's worth pausing to ask ourselves, particularly in this increasingly volatile, uncertain climate, how's this balance going? What do we need more of on the support and challenge front so that we can keep growing on the go? Tom makes a point of tracking and assessing so that he can keep growing. And the key here, I think, is choosing what you want to track and assess. Here's an exercise you might like to play with. Number one, how do you know you have enough meaningful challenge in your life? Write down four things and then ask yourself how you would rate each one now. For example, at the top of my list, I'd have I have inspiring people in my life who raise my game. That's really important to me. And I might also have, I have things in my diary that make me feel nerve-sighted, nervous and excited at the same time. Second question, what does meaningful support look like? Again, write down four things. And I would probably say people to call on for help when I need it. And an exercise routine that I can honour that's really important to support me. So how can we usefully grow on the go? Do you have enough pressure in your life to feel like you're learning and growing? It's interesting around progression. Will you then track that next year or will you wait until the end of next year to then track it back? Various interesting things, Sarah. So on the sort of diet and kind of well-being side, my wife and I are going to try something next year where we we try something every month and cut something out or add something in. And that will be a monthly measurement of like, is more sleep helping us? Like going to bed earlier, getting up later? Is is this helping? Is cutting out this helping? And then in terms of the business side, I think it'll probably be like a six-monthly view. 
but I'm also a big weekly person. So I'm looking every week at like, you know, how have I done with my exercise, with my meditation, with my focus in meetings, a, a constant goal for me. Like, was I really present in that conversation start to finish? So there's those sort of micro goals on a weekly basis, yeah. monthly in terms of like lifestyle, and then more sort of through the business side, it'll be quarterly and halfway through the year. Like, is this landing well? Am, am I getting the goals? Am I on track? And and I've got a leader who will be very much in that conversation with me. But there's a lot. I think you've got to be responsible for doing that yourself rather than showing up and feeling like it's a grilling. It's like, no, this is important. Do I know where everything is at? Yeah. And also, how do you receive, you know, this is you You just involved your your own leader in that inquiry. But I do think personally, it's really important to have other people's perspectives on my own person, because I might think this is my judgment on what I've done. But, you know, I may just be kidding myself. You know, then how do I how do I build and model a performance conversation every sort of week with the people that I'm working alongside? I mean, it's just a question whether we don't see that very uh, rigorously in organizations, if I'm honest, Tom, the sense of real review. We have genuinely massively embraced and what is embrace the right word let's say we've we've gone for a feedback culture and whether we manage to embrace it is, is a different perspective uh, we, we we track that really hard in our um in our organization and sort of thinking about our cultural development so whether it's peer-to-peer -peer or whether it's leader to direct report and i'm particularly proud actually this year in, in the, the, the organization that i lead we've made real progress the one that, you know, actually we've made great progress on both fronts, a lot in terms of the, the people leaders to direct report in thinking really hard about career planning and where do you want to go and how can I help you get there? Mm -hmm. And then peer to peer, really thinking about, I was just in a meeting with you, I saw you do that, that was great. Or I was just on the receiving end of that presentation you did. I missed that thing. Like I just couldn't, your body language was weird. I, I think we've really tried to do that. So I hope that ultimately our performance type conversations, I don't think that come April we'll be having big year end like reviews of like, this is everything that I've got to give you because we don't do that anymore. It, it's much more iterative in terms of I, I saw this, you know, this is what we talked about last week. I just saw this yesterday, real time feedback. And I'm not even pitching you on this. I, we've genuinely like yeah, gone yeah, into yeah. it. And I it makes you. such a difference in terms of the dialogues around the table, the trust around the table. And I also think the care that you mm. show for people because, mm -hmm. you know, that cheesy line, but feedback is ultimately a gift if it's taken in the right spirit. And I think we've done that in my team with real ambition. It, ta it takes some bravery because it doesn't always feel yeah. very comfortable. And still, there'll be days when you're like, am I ready to give this or receive this? But you just got to go for it. Transform. Wonderful. Thank you, Tom. So leads me to the final sort of section, which I always ask guests, which is if there were two things that you would pass forward yeah. to anyone listening to this podcast who would like to be better under pressure, what would they be, Tom? First one would be to plan yourself and take responsibility for looking after yourself. Sort of if you feel like you're on a crazy treadmill, slow it down, get off it and rethink about like, what's your purpose here? And so, yeah, for me, that's about accountability and really thinking about what you can do under your own steam and then do it. Don't think and hypothesize, do it. And there's a lot of planning needed there and self-awareness, um, but just prepare and show up fully. And, and, 
yeah, that's my first one. I could mm-hmm. go on down a rich stream of that one. <laughs> and just remember that pressure is a privilege yeah. and therefore like do the hard work and perform and then the rewards will be so much more enjoyable. And then my second one, I think letting go of ideas of perfection, thinking not about avoiding failure, but ultimately how you can win and succeed. And um, I, I try and always say to my team that it's perfectly okay if things aren't going all right, as long as you're aware of it and you've got a plan to take action. There's always going to be value in the learning of a tough time or a, a mini failure, and that will help you not do something again. So see performance as like an iterative process. Mm-hmm. It will feel good and bad at times, but mm-hmm. let go of the idea that everything needs to be perfect or seen to be perfect as well. And what's wonderful about that, I think, is that has a huge responsibility for the leader like you you just said, because with you, because people learn that when they mess up and you can say as a leader, what have you learned? What's the iterative process? What's next? But if they mess up and they get sat on, then that's when we just expand the perfectionism, isn't it? Or the worry or the, or the energy wasted on perfectionism. Totally. Says, some, says somebody who has had to really work hard on her relationship with perfectionism yes yeah and you know perfection is it it sort of breeds it it blurs into shame it blurs into like just that feeling of like this is terrible it let it go and and i think it's very freeing and it's a work in progress for me too thank you tom fabulous thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. And don't forget, if you'd like to sign up for our fortnightly Pressure Points newsletter, where I summarise key points from each conversation, you can find a link at sarahmilnerowe.com. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.